Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I am your host, Ann Mink, Wealth Coach and Wealth Advisor for Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winky. We also service clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com for more details. Today, I'm so excited because this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a long time, but we have with us Sarah Reed. She is the founder of Moonstone Coaching and Consulting, and she is my go-to person on what's going on when we're looking for answers in career, in jobs, in hiring. Um, she has multiple years of experience in the HR world, and now she has her own business where she helps individuals kind of navigate those career moves or, um, you know, when they're kind of sitting there going, I know I need to change and I don't know what to do or where to go. So Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Anne. I really appreciate it. Excited to be here again. So why don't you give us a little bit of background of what you do for individuals? Like, When would people want to come and talk to you? How do you help them? Sure, sure. Well, most of my clientele, it is kind of what you said, right? Like, I'm not sure what I want to do next. I'm, I'm a little lost where I'm at. A lot of my clients have been in their careers for a long time. And so they, it's been a while since they've been out in the marketplace. So they are challenged with what do I do next, as well as how the heck do I do it? And holy crap, I'm a little scared to get there, right? So helping them navigate kind of through the confidence of making that shift getting clear on what they want next, and then the tactics of how to actually carry out that plan so they can get where they want to go in that next step in their career. And so I thought you'd be the perfect person to kind of help us understand what we've been seeing recently. So, you know, in the news, we talk about the great resignation. We talk about the fact that there's so many job openings and not enough individuals to fill it. Um, you know, we're in that spot too at Ellen Becker. Like we're looking for employees as well, just as, you know, everyone else is. Um, I've also heard too that there are people looking for jobs. It's just like, there's just not a good connection between the jobs that are out there and the people that are looking as well. Um, so why don't we take a step back and like what happened with the great resignation? Like why all of a sudden did everybody decide to quit? <laughs> All right. Well, I, I don't know if I'd call myself an expert, but I'll give you my, my thought process on it and kind of my perspective. I think it's a combination of things, right? So I think for so many years, companies, for the most part, got to rule how their employees kind of functioned, right? Like, they're, they, you know, they had to go to work every day. They had to go to the office. Like, it was just everyone was kind of programmed or expected that that was how life was, right? Then you have this pandemic that hit us. And all of a sudden, everyone's forced to, companies included, figure out how the heck do we navigate this, right? And for, for those that could work from home, right, which was a lot of people. Um, and I really think that, in my mind, it's a combination of the, the, the pandemic, right, and what that did emotionally to people and going through something like that that none of us have ever experienced, as well as 
oh, I've been working from home for a long time now, right? And my company has done better than ever, right? Like, and I know that's not true for all organizations, but a lot of organizations have really flourished in the last couple of years, depending on your industry. And so I think it's that combination of going through this really emotional thing that they went through as well as, Hey, I can work from home. I want more freedom and flexibility. And you kind of, it's given everyone a moment to re-examine what they really believe in, what they really want from their lives. And so I think for those reasons is really why we're seeing a lot of this. Right. And I, and I feel like it's also, People have been like employees have been pushing for wanting to work more remotely, wanting more freedom and flexibility. And there's always been a decent amount of resistance from from most corporations, right? Not all of them, right? But many of them still kind of trapped in that work can only be done one way, right? And I think this was the shove that made employees realize like, oh, no, uh uh-uh, no, like, how, how can you say that now I have to go back to work, right? Because what has changed? What's different? And I think those, the emotional impact of everything that's gone on and just the tactics of then being at home and seeing what life could be like and how it could be different in both managing my career and my, my life, right? My day-to-day, those are kind of my, my philosophy and kind of why we're seeing what's happened as well as some other dynamics on just, there's not enough humans to fill some of the jobs, right? Like mm-hmm. we're, you know, the, if, if, and now I'm not an expert, but like smaller generations, not as many people, people retiring, like you have those factors going on that I think also play into it. And then like you were talking about a bit of a mismatch of there are, there's a lot of jobs out there, but there's not always the right people for those jobs. And so you get a bit of a mismatch and the puzzle pieces don't match each puzzle all the time. And then that sets up for some, some challenges. Yeah. And what you were saying at the beginning too, is, you know, that's what happened in my household. My husband works from home and he's in accounting, which typically is an industry where you had to be in there. Like you push paper, like literally we're pushing paper. And so yep. for the longest time, the industries would say, no, you can't work from home. You can't have part-time jobs. It is full-time and in the office. And, you know, he has been, been able to flourish being at home. So he's been able to help with some of the kid duties, um, yep. being home, having the flexibility. You know, if a kid is sick, he's at least there. Like my kids are old enough that they can take care of themselves, but he's at least in the house with them. Um, And his company has realized that they don't have to be in the office. Now they're trying to get him slowly to come back with all the other employees. But I think it's what you noticed was they don't necessarily have to come back in. We have survived and thrived for two years in some of these industries. And everyone is, you know, working from home and they are starting to understand what they really value because they've been able to spend time at home. They've been able to have flexibility. Um, They are also appreciating it. What I've noticed too, and especially with Ellen Becker here and and as we had to kind of shut down for a while as well, is that if you hire the right people, like the right people will do above and beyond because they know it's a good situation. Like everyone at Ellen Becker just, you know, we pulled together as a team. You know, you could count on everyone. We almost worked harder from home because we appreciated the flexibility that we could see. Well, and I think it also allows people to be productive in a way that works for them and in turn actually be more productive because they're not worried about the things they can't do at home, right? They can go downstairs and run a load of laundry, right? Or they can take their daughter to a doctor's appointment, right? Whatever. And I think that actually that emotional stress being in a corporate setting nine to five 
that taxes people and it takes away from your productivity. It distracts you. You have to make more arrangements like logistically it's makes, it makes a big difference. So I think all of that plays into it for sure. And I think that it's not, you're always going to have unproductive employees, right? Like let's be real, but I don't think working from home makes necessarily an unproductive employee, if that makes sense. And, and did you see any, um, like with the individuals that you're working with kind of like you touched on too, of, well, there is this older generation that they just said, I'm done. Like, I'm like, I wasn't expecting to retire, but I don't really want to deal with this. So I'm just, I'm getting out of here at this point. Like, did you see, like, is that part of what we're seeing as well or what happened? Yeah. You know, I've always seen um, a lot of that. A lot of my clients are in their like mid forties to fifties, sometimes even 60. And that is so often what I hear is I have 10 more years to work, right? Or I have five more years to work and I don't want to work doing something I don't like anymore, right? Like I've just kind of reached that point or I don't want to work this job anymore, right? Like I want my retirement job. You know, you hear talk of that. And, and I think that, again, it was just the shove that people needed in order to say, okay, now's the time. Right now is the time, and again, I think when you are when being at home and being isolated, it just makes you reevaluate and gives you such a different lens for your life. And I think that had a big impact on those folks that decided to retire or decided to make a shift or exit out. I mean, it's it's also part of it. I think is it's so much easier to go out on your own, right? So corporations are now, I think, dealing with that more and more. That to be able, like, I couldn't have gone out on my own to do what I do right now. 15 years ago as easily as I do now with the technology right. and things like that. So I think that plays into it a bit too, Anne. Yeah. And um, one thing that you touched on that I want, I want to take a quick break and then we'll come back on um, is because I do deal with a lot of retirement planning. And so I actually hear a lot of that on my side as well. And so I want to kind of pick up that conversation of, you know, these 40, 50, 60 year olds and how they how it kind of plays out because I know I definitely see one side and I'd like to get your opinion on some of that as well. So with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. Once again, I'm your host, Ann Mank, Wealth Advisor and Wealth Coach with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today I have with us, Sarah Reed, who is the founder of Moonstone Coaching and Consulting, and she is our everything hiring and, you know, I need a new job, I need a new career type of expert. And um, Sarah, when we left, we were talking about retirement. So, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. So that's sure. why I wanted to make sure we had enough time for this. But a lot of times when I'm sitting down with my clients, we always ask them the question of what age do you want to retire at? And like a lot of the people that you help, a lot of my clients are in the mid fifties. So they're, you know, 56 saying, I am only going to work six more years. I'm only going to work eight more years. And when it comes down to why they want to stop working or why they want to retire, it's usually because they want to stop working, not necessarily ready to retire. So how does somebody, and you know, it's, it's from my own, like, I want to know how to help these individuals make sure that they're making the right decision, but how do you help somebody in that situation where they're, they're just so tired of where they're working or there is just some, you know, boss that they can't handle, or they're just, 
physically done because their job is so yeah. hard on them. How did they take the next step? Because in their mind, they're like, I'm 56. I just have to ride this out and then I'm going to retire. And, you know, life's too short to think that way. So how do you help them? What are some things that they need to either think about or they can do? Yeah, I think one thing is to get to the crux of the why they really want to retire. Because I can't tell you how many times I've I've seen people or clients or colleagues that have been, I, I got, it's more about, I need to get out of this job than it is. I want to retire. Right. A, a prime example. I had um, a woman I worked with, she was in a corporate setting, worked many, many hours, right. Really demanding job, always around the holidays. And she could, all she could look at was her eye on, I'm going to retire at X, Y, and Z age. I don't remember exactly what it was. Right. And then she decided I'm done. And she went into real estate. And the interesting thing is now she's like, oh, I don't need to retire then. I can do this as long as I want, right? Like it yeah. was the retirement age in her mind was attached to the bad job as opposed to really attached to this is what this is how I want my life to go. I want to retire at this age because I want to do these things in my life, right? I feel like oftentimes that decision is driven by our unhappiness as opposed to our goals for our future kind of post-retire or post post-work world like in retirement. Does that make sense? I don't know if that answered your, your question or not, Anne. Yeah. And I was wondering like so with that individual, because you said they were corporate, like was that a huge shift for this individual? to go into real estate because sometimes that's a scary part is that you can't see anything in your direct industry. Like how does somebody make that pivot? Yeah, I think it's more about getting clear on what you want, right? Like that's how I operate, right? Kind of the basis for how I work with people is really getting getting clear on the foundation of you, right? That's your values, your likes, your preferences. And so many times I find that people haven't done that for a long time. Maybe they thought about it when they were young, when mm -hmm. they started their job, and then they have kids or they have a life or they have all the things. And then they, they kind of lose sight of why am I doing the things I'm doing and what do I even like anymore? So in my mind, it's kind of the key there is figuring out those things. And for her, it was, I don't enjoy doing this. I want more flexibility. I want more freedom. I've always had, you know, she went into real estate and always had that in the back of her head, right? She knew it was a big shift and a big change and a big risk, right? So she was aware of that. But for her, it was, it was that for her, it was that dream, right? And that's not always how it turns out for folks, but that was that dream. And then it was the reality, like, oh, if I do this. I can work longer, then I don't have to make as much money right now because I'm going to work more years, right? It was that click in her head. I remember the conversation vividly and, and she was like, oh, <laughs> I right? it was like this light bulb, like, right. oh, if I work more, I make more, like, it doesn't matter. Like I, I can adjust my whole scenario for my retirement because I like what I'm doing and I don't have to stop in the same way I thought I did in this regular traditional corporate gig. Yeah, and that's a good point too, because a lot of times when I'm working with clients and we're looking at their financial plan, one more year of working can make or break a plan. And yep. for make or break, I mean that they either can live the lifestyle they've always wanted or they'll always have to watch their money. So they think it's like the fear of not retiring isn't there. It's more of, do I want the lifestyle I want? Exactly. And, but then they have the struggle of, well, then I have to be miserable for another year versus you know, doing what I like to do. Um, that's very interesting on, on kind of making that, that pivot because I think sometimes when we're in a career and I don't know if you see this a lot too, is that you get to a certain point where you're like, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. I don't want to start over. Like I've already put so much in this. How, 
Like, do you see that a lot? Like, is that something that stops people from time to time? It's like, I don't want to be a grunt again. I don't want to kind of go down. I don't, I don't want to be freshman here. Yeah, again. yeah. No, I think that's a really good point, Anne. I do see that. So then in those cases, right? So the, the real estate example, she used a, she was big on client service in her old role, right? So she could use that experience to leverage it, right? And real estate's a little different, but for other people that are in a little more traditional setting and they want to make a change, it's more thinking about what's a 55 degree angle change, right? Maybe not a full 180, but it's, 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 a ch- I'm going to say pivot, even though I feel like it's overused, but a little bit of a pivot and a shift away from what they were doing. Maybe it's in a different industry doing something similar. But again, the key there is what's the thing that's making you unhappy? Is it the culture? Is it the job itself? Is it the manager, right? Like you need to get clear on those pieces because then that helps you evaluate, oh, I can do this job somewhere else. I need to change the place right? Like I need to look at the culture or no, it's the job itself. The culture is okay. Like figuring out what's um, that unhappiness. I find that sometimes when people come my way, they are so wrapped up in unhappiness. It takes a while to figure out what's really the driver for that unhappiness. And that's kind of the first step in my mind is figuring out what's, what's that trigger for you and and what's really driving um, your need to make a change. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I was just talking to a friend who really does not like their job right now. And like my advice was, okay, but if you're going to find a new job and be just miserable again, because like, is it what you're doing you hate? Um, You know, what kind of that list, like a lot of times we hear, um, you know, if you're single and you're looking for your life partner, like what are your key things that are non-negotiables? So like do that for your job as well. Like what are your non-negotiable? What are the things you're looking for? And kind of going back to the pandemic, I think a lot of those things are within reach. Like maybe it is being remote. Maybe it is having unlimited vacation. Maybe it is having, you know, a chance to be creative. But like you said, understanding what those values really are. Yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes it's, you have to, I look at it as, as pieces, right? Like it's about what are the elements or the pieces you need in order to be happy. And then, because otherwise, if you don't figure those out, you bring that baggage of that unhappiness to your next gig, even though you think that actually solved the problem and it didn't. So really examining the triggers and the pieces. I, sometimes people call me a career therapist because it is, it's kind of digging through that emotional stuff to figure out how I want to make sure I go to this next place. And this is my last place, right? I'll hear that a lot. This is my last job, right? And thinking about making sure you make the right move and the right decisions around that. It takes, it takes some digging, right? It takes a little bit of work and energy and effort, like tactically, analytically, as well as emotionally to kind of sort through that. What would you say to someone who, um, it might be sitting here listening, going, you know, I don't think I'm in that place. Like what are some, sometimes we just don't see it. Like I, you know, talked to a lot of um, individuals or some of the companies I've been in where you can see like from like me from afar, I can see how toxic it is for a person, but they just don't see it. Like what are some of those red flags that if you're sitting here and you know, you're starting to check these boxes off, you're like, oh wait, maybe, maybe my unhappiness really is because of the job, not necessarily because I stubbed my toe this morning. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I think the big one, uh, grouchy on Sunday nights, right? Like, 
Are, are you are you dreading going to work on a Monday, right? That's one thing or, and, and maybe it's not dread, right? I think for people that don't recognize it, like notice your mood, right? Like in a weekend, right? Yeah. Like does Sunday night roll around and, and are you a little more on edge? I think the other piece is, are you a little less productive than you used to be at work? That's another, it's a more subtle sign sometimes for people. Yeah. Or do you find yourself not saying yes as much at work can yeah. be another signal. Or the, the, I'll be honest, the one for me is I found myself wanting to take lunches more. Like I needed to get out, right? Like it was, that was my cue. I'm like, oh, I'm not as happy as I used to be, right? Like this job isn't the right match for me any longer. So those I think are some of those subtle things you can look at and examine. The other thing is it's ask your friends and family. Now be willing to hear the answer, right? Like be okay with that and accept right. that. But I think those are a couple of things that I've found are those cues. I don't know if you have any other things that you've witnessed kind of with people in your life or not, Anne. Yeah, I mean, that was very similar to the ones that I was kind of thinking of, um, kind of watching your mood on the weekends. Do you live for the weekend and then dread the Mondays? Um, I was just watching uh, office, office Space. And so I was like, do you have a case of the Mondays? Totally. Um, and also just the... Um, like I, I think of it when I, I kind of visualize the person that I'm thinking of, and it really is the person who just is always in reaction mode. Like there is no sense of solution based or being able mm. to anticipate because they are just in the moment. Because like they're, they're coping. Yep. Yes. Yep. That's that's what I'm looking for. Is coping. Yep. Yeah. They're just coping with what's happening around them. And like you said, they aren't saying yes to new things. They aren't talking with their coworkers, they're going out to lunch. So, um, so if you see any of those signs, you know, definitely reach out to Sarah or, my, or us and we can kind of help navigate some of those for you. But um, I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about what it looks like right now. So if you're recognizing those signs, or you know yourself that it is time to move on, like, what does that look like now? It's been a few years before I since I've been looking for a, a job and so much has changed. And so just giving us, you know, tips on what we're seeing on what's changed, what do we need to do now? How do we find the jobs that we really know will align with us? So with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I am your host and Mink, wealth advisor and wealth coach with Ellen Becker Investment Group. We have a Sarah Reed with us. She is the founder of Moonstone Coaching and Consulting. And we're talking about, first, we were talking about the great resignation, like pandemic happened. We understood some of the things that we might possibly could have, like we, we were stuck at home, but we could still function. Our companies could still function. So that open opportunities that might not have been there to begin with. And then we started talking about, well, what does it look and feel like if we know we need to make that change or some red flags to look for that it's kind of our cue to say, okay, maybe I do need to start looking. But what does it look like now? You know, usually when you come out of college, that's where they start giving you interviewing techniques. And this is what your resume should look like. Well, if you're 20 or 30 years into your career, it's been a while since you've had to either interview or put your resume together or, you know, be presentable. Like what, 
what is out there? How to find the job? How to do the interview? How to do the resume? I know you help people with that all the time. Yep. And you don't have to give away your secret sauce, but what are <laughs> some of the things that you're seeing right now? I still kind of in line what we were talking about before, Anne, uh, before you start hitting the job boards, which is a whole nother topic, right? Uh, and those sorts of things, get clear on what you want right? Whether you get help with that, or you can figure that out on your own, make sure you get clear on what you want so that you are filtering it through that lens, as opposed to running to this job that says, oh yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. Right. Looking at that job description. And then you come to find like, I forgot to ask myself, do I want to do that? Right. So I would say before you get to the tactical stuff, get that in your head somehow, either get support, figure it out on your own, whatever that looks like. That's really, really important in my mind. Then as far as the, how does it happen, right? When you're in your twenties, it's different, right? Like first of all, there's, there's more job options for you because you're not as specialized, right? There's just more jobs. Your pay requirements aren't the same. You aren't as demanding as you are, as you get older, right? Like all these things change. So I think then that also changes your tactics about how you go about doing it. So I'm a believer in you need to use a number of different strategies to be successful, right? So there's the job boards. I love LinkedIn. It is an incredible research tool to find out what are job titles, what could I do, what are companies, right? Especially if you're not looking for a large company, it's not like it's easy to find a lot of that data. So LinkedIn can be a great resource for from a research research perspective, as well as um, a job board perspective, right? So, so those sorts of things. So you've got that online component, like LinkedIn, you've got Indeed, you've got, you know, sites like ZipRecruiter, most of that's all done online. And, and it's great. And the resources are great, but the more experienced you are, the less useful it is in reality, right? So, cause those jobs are there maybe, or maybe not, right? Like, I don't know if I believe the stats on how many jobs are actually posted in reality. I think technology is such that most things get out there. Um, But really in reality, what you want to do if you are more experienced in looking to make a shift is really to utilize your relationships, right? And, And tap into those people in your network, your family, your past colleagues, and start to have conversations about, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Do you have any suggestions? Or, hey, I'm looking at this company. Do you know so and so, right? Thinking about those things, making sure you're using more than one tactic. You can't get stuck in the, all I'm doing is staring at the computer screen all day. You have to engage, right? Whether that is one on one networking, that whether that is going to an online networking meeting, whether that is going to something in person, right? Um, doing some of those things and putting yourself out there and having conversations. Um, can also be a really good strategy. But again, I'm a believer that you have to at least employ two strategies. Don't get stuck in one box because in essence, the looking at a job board day in and day out can be like a straight road to depression or insanity. I'm not sure which or both. Like it's just, it can get really monotonous. So making sure you're employing a couple different tools, but the technology is great. And it's also hard because it's made it so much harder to actually get to humans and talk to humans and people don't know if a human has actually looked at their resume. I'm still a believer that humans look at resumes. People will dispute that. I still think it happens. Um, You know, I started recruiting when I was 17. I like, I still believe humans look at resumes and they, most good companies will use these tools to help them find the people, not help them weed it out. Now that's not true of all the places, but um, hopefully that helps kind of give you some ideas and some and strategies and things like that. And I don't know, Betty, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah. So, um, cause the one thing that it kind of goes in the, 
back of my head is, okay, great. I found this job I like. Um, do I, you know, I have a little bit of background just from some of the previous employers I've had where we would do video type interviews and it wasn't necessarily in person. And I have a feeling a lot more companies are moving towards virtual interviews versus kind of in person. Um, and is that also the same for like resumes? You know, before for a resume, you want to make sure it's on one page and it was a piece of paper you would do. And now I have a feeling- And a nice piece of paper years and nice, years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the whole box, the one sheet of paper. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> right. Um, so like a lot has changed in about 10 years. I mean, it is a whole different ball game. So what? You know, when people look at a resume, is it still like, what are their qualifications or are they looking for creativity or, you know, somebody being a little bit different? Um, I think well, you have to remember a resume is just a tool to get to the interview, right? And you want to make sure the information is um, selling to the company you're interested in, right? So that it's not just a laundry list of your skills, but it's more showing how your skills can do this next job, right? So that's one thing. I'm not a believer in a one-page resume for an experienced professional. I don't think that's possible, quite frankly, right? (laughs) Right? And especially in the way that most people will recommend to lay out a resume and having like a skills section and a summary, it's almost like impossible to make it one page if -hmm. you have any experience at all, right? Like it's just, it's not very feasible. So I don't think that one pager holds true any longer. Now you don't want it to be five pages, right? Like my general rule of thumb is ideally two. Um, I'm I'm, going to be okay with two and a half, maybe three, depending on the circumstances, but two is a kind of a good, good, rule of thumb in my mind. And again, what you have to remember is most people are looking at this on a screen. So you want to make sure that it's really easy for someone to scan it. So Mm -hmm. I am not a fan, unless you are in a very creative space of doing um, text boxes and different formats and things like that, because if they're looking at it on their phone or a tablet or a screen, it's hard for someone to decipher that sometimes. Now, again, they look nice, right? Those fancy formatted resumes and they're all over the place look nice, but it doesn't allow um, the person reading it to easily get through the information and applicant tracking systems, right? The, the, the technology behind what screens resumes or keeps resumes or filters resumes doesn't always do well with really heavily formatted resumes. So keeping it simple is my philosophy on that um, and making sure you're showcasing the skills that you want them to see that will work for that job. Hmm. So that really sense? tailoring, so, like a lot more yeah. tailoring, especially yes. for our experience. Yes. Because I remember when I was young, you had the same resume and you threw it out to 20 different companies. Yeah. And I don't like to make it vastly different all the time, but just little tweaks here and there. Yeah. I think you were talking about video interviewing that is certainly more common. The other thing that is more common is um, video interviewing without the person. And what I mean by that is like, it's a screening video, right? Like the first step for a company might be, they send you a link and you have to do a video recording of answering these questions for them, right? So you're literally, it's like a one-way interview almost. So that is becoming more popular. Um, So that's something just to keep in mind. Now, I think I find that more for um, not necessarily really senior level roles, but it's out there and more companies are using that sort of technology as another filtering tool and a way for them to get to know them because it's just 
it's also a matter of filtering through and having enough heads to be able to look at all the people. So it's yeah. another way that people, companies are evaluating talent that way. It's a little nerve wracking for the, yeah. for the candidate, right? But um, that's another way that I think people should just be mentally prepared that might happen as part of the process. So, and we talk about the process a lot, like has the process itself changed much, especially like I'm just thinking of, you know, the 55 year old who's been in their career for 15 years and might have been used to, well, you send your resume, you have the phone screen, then they come in and you do an interview, you might interview like a second interview and you have the job. Like, even though we're using different tools, is it still kind of the same process? fairly similar, right? Like, so that phone screen might be replaced with that one-way video interview, right? But there's usually still a human that's not the hiring manager that will have an initial conversation if it's a larger company, right? And there's usually more than one interview. I'm not saying that that's always the case, but there's usually more than one interview and it still is some human-to-human contact, even if it's video contact, right? Or a phone call that happens. But the overall, because if you think about it, you know, hiring is a big decision for both the person who's looking at the job as well as the company. You need some interaction in order for that to work. It can't be all automated. So in that way, there's still a lot of that cadence. It's just like you said, the tools are a bit different and how they get through that process. Yep. And aren't there really that many jobs out there? Like I'm not in the job search kind of looking right now, but that's what we hear in the news is that everybody's looking for a job. I know we're looking for employees, but is there really that many jobs so that if someone is looking to pivot their career and they are in their fifties, like, are they out there? Or is it really just maybe more specialized? Like they want somebody in software. They want somebody, you know, that's more on the tech because that's one of the fear that my clients talk about is, well, nobody wants me. And I'm thinking you have a lot of work experience and knowledge that even if you aren't doing the exact same role that you're doing now, I mean, just having work experience for 20 years, like you've dealt with people and you've dealt with negotiations and management. Um, But are those jobs really out there for someone who has been in corporate and just kind of wants to still maintain what they were doing, um, but just wants maybe that different company out there? Sure. You know, it's that's such a hard question question to answer excuse me um because it so varies right so um there are certainly a lot of jobs out there but i think that um the farther you get along in your career it just narrows your options just without question regardless of the job market right just because more experienced more niched or or you you need to make more right all those factors come into play so i i would say that there's certainly the jobs out there i think part of what you had said i'm trying to think of the exact word you said like no one wants me i think was your phrase right like yeah to me my response back to that would be like um that's what you need to dig into, right? Because if that's the attitude you're going into, that's going to mess with, I don't care what interview you get, people are going to be like, you have some com- either some confidence issues or some other issues going on, right? That right. you need to get into. But I find that that's often what is getting in the way of people be su- being successful in the process is that that those mental beliefs and hurdles they put up for themselves that are not allowing them to get to that next step or to get to that offer. So I think as far as the job market, there are jobs out there in all the spaces. There are more jobs in hospitality, like 
um, <clears throat> hospitality, like in servers and things like that, because that's a, a that's a hot mess of an area, right? As yeah. we've all seen, is restaurants close early because they don't have staff and things like that. Yeah. But I think as far as professional level roles, some areas are hotter than others, right? But you know, there's always a demand for accountants, right? There's always some level in some space in IT, but that changes depending on the time. And then I think in services, it it varies. But so I'd say that, yes, it's a good market, but it just depends on what, what niche you're in. And then a lot of it is about your attitude and your approach and how you feel about that as to how successful you can be, right? Because right. you can be in a great job market where there's a lot of jobs. And if you aren't going into the mm-hmm. process well, you're not going to get any of those jobs because right. you're not approaching it right. Your attitude's not right. Your headspace isn't right. Any of those things. Does that yeah. make sense, Ann? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I do want to also touch on kind of the other thing, like a lot of what we're talking about is going from one position to another position in the company. Um, but I want to take a real quick break and when we come back, kind of talk about the leap you made of, I'm not going to look for another position, I'm going to start my own thing. Because that, I think, takes a whole different mindset to it and, and takes a unique person to be able to do that. So I want to take a really quick break and then we'll talk ab- about that as well. Welcome back to Money Sense. I am Ann Mank, Wealth Advisor and Wealth Coach with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today I'm talking with Sarah Reed. She is the Moonstone Coaching and Consulting Founder. Um, And we are talking about the great resignation. How do we make transitions when we are in our 50s to a new career or a new position? And Sarah has the fun story of she was in corporate world and then decided to kind of do her own thing, create her own business, kind of make her own work so that she could work with the people she wants to work, doing the things that she loves. Um, But Sarah, how does somebody know if they are the right person to make that jump? What are some of the things they need to either know, like is in front of them, or what are some qualities that they'll need to have? Because you know, as we're going through this journey of, I need to find a new position, this is why, here are my values, sometimes people come to the fact that, well, I don't see anything out there right now that fits me. And so you always have this like little bug in your ear, well, maybe I'll just start my own business, maybe I'll be an entrepreneur, but it really takes a unique person. So who do you see that might be a good fit? Or what are some of the things that they, as they're talking and thinking, sure. that you're like, you know what, you might want to consider this as well. Yeah, I'll start with kind of you were talking about what are the qualities. I think for one, you have to have an okay risk tolerance, right? You don't have to be an extreme risk taker. I am not an extreme risk taker, but I also started a business that didn't take a huge capital investment, right? Like I don't have a lot of overhead. I'm in a coaching practice, right? So that, right, like that balanced it out for me, right? So I'm not a huge risk taker, but And I knew that if I did this, I didn't need a huge capital investment. So that made me more comfortable, right? So it's thinking through things like your risk tolerance. It is thinking through what kind of, do you need a lot of structure? Do you not need a lot of structure? Are you good at holding yourself accountable, right? Like thinking through, right? If I'm literally my, I'm like a one, one person stop, like, how does this look? Or if I'm looking to start a franchise or things like that, am I prepared to go through that process financially, right? I think, to be honest, finances plays a huge part in that, Anne, right? The reality is, is when I left my gig, I, 
was fortunate enough to have my husband who carries our benefits, right? Like that is the other thing I hear so often is I'd love to go out on my own, but I can't manage benefits, right? Like I don't, or I'm a single person, like I'm out on my own, I'm not married, you know, I don't have a significant other, those sorts of things. So thinking through the financial piece and making sure you, you always, I think most people I've talked to, you need more runway than you think you do, right? Like, oh, it'll be fine in a year, whatever that looks like. It always takes a little, most of the time, takes a little longer than everyone tells you will take, right? right? So the financial piece, that risk tolerance, and then your, your way of being in structure or not structure, which works, right? Like, or knowing if I need a lot of structure, how do I build that in to make sure I can be successful out on my own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, I had worked with other people for so long, right? And I remember vividly, I got down to, I set up my office, I was all good to go. And I'm like, there's nobody Google around. For me, the gap was more, um, you know, I basically took all of my expertise. It wasn't like I had to build expertise. For me, it was more, I needed to build a different community because I had all of my network and my peers were in corporate. And I needed to build some folks that were in this entrepreneur space. So I had that kind of support, people who understood what I was going through and could maybe help me um, kind of manage through challenges or give suggestions or ideas or be a resource if I'm like, where do I go to do this website or whatever that is. So I think it's thinking through what's your risk tolerance financially, how do you manage that? Looking at how you operate as a person, can you structure your own day? Can you hold yourself accountable, stay off your phone and not play video games or not binge watch TV all day? You know, simple things like that, right? And really think through what does it feel like to be on my own, right? Like, and think about what you like about the work environment and what you don't, right? Are you more of an introvert? Are you an extrovert? To me, all of those factors come into play when thinking about going out on your own. Um, And then again, depending on if you are thinking about, I'm gonna go out on my own and be a one person show, or I wanna go build a business, right? That's a different different animal altogether. And then knowing what you need from a capital standpoint and all those things. Yeah. So those are a couple of things that come to mind. And those, you know, it sounds like a lot, but like you said, you went into service, so you knew your financial responsibilities. Um, you had a support to kind of lean on as well, mm-hmm. um, but it can be scary. And I think- Oh, don't scary. get me wrong. It was still scary when I did it. Oh yeah, right? it, it totally was, Anna. And yeah, let's, have, let's be real. <laughs> really, I mean, and what was that day like when you went in and you gave your notice and they're like, so what are you going to do? And you're like, well, my own thing. Um, exhilarating and scary as heck, right? If I'm being real, right? Like it was, again, because for me, um, I left corporate really because my job got very removed away from helping people, right? I was in a leadership role and I spent all my day meetings and strategy and branding and things like that. I was very far away from helping a person directly, right? Like what I did still mattered. don't get me wrong. But I, that's really what drove me to leave is I really missed helping people one-on-one. And so that made sense to them, right? Like they're like, okay, I can see that. But it was still like a scary process thinking about, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Because right. you think it'll work, but, but it's more like fingers crossed a little, like I'm going to go right. do this and take this leap. So, right. And a lot of times when I see people kind of make that leap only for the money, like that's where they kind of run into trouble. Like, because then it's absolutely um, either have the scarcity fear of, I can't do this. I'm, you know, whatever that might be, or they don't have a strong enough why 
on yep. why they're doing it. Like it's all about themselves, all about the money. Um, so it also does take a why that is bigger than yourself. And like you mentioned, it really was to help individuals mm -hmm. like you have all this knowledge and this experience. And that's really what kind of, you know, gets you up on those days when you're like, I'll just snooze 15 more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For me, the drivers were really being able to use my skills and help people directly again. Right. And, and then the other driver was freedom and flexibility. It was not money was not my main criteria because I left a very well-paying gig, right? Like right. it was, it was really more about, I wanted to live my life and do my work the way I wanted to do it. And, um, the rest is followed, right? Like I'm very right. grateful for that, but it is, it is, if your only motivation is just, cause I think I want to go make more money. You might want to reconsider that. Like right. it's, it's, a, it's not an easy road, right? Like emotionally, physically, it's, yep. it's, it's a taxing sort of thing in ways that you don't even really think about because, I went from representing an organization, right? right? And selling that organization as a recruiter to all being on my own. It leaves you much more vulnerable in ways that people don't think about when you start your own gig, right? No matter what business you're doing, it just, yeah. it really does. And you really need to be mentally prepared for that more than I think a lot of people realize. If I think about new entrepreneurs I've talked to, that is the biggest thing, that mental challenge of making it work is much larger than most people realize oftentimes. Yeah, exactly. And so if someone is sitting there going, okay, I see all these red flags for myself or is sitting there going, I love the idea of entrepreneurship, but I don't know if, if that's the right me sure. or, you know, any of my, my clients are out there thinking I I'm only retiring because I want to stop working. How, like, where can they find you? How can they get your help? Like, where would they be able to kind of make that first step? Sure. Um, it's easy to reach out to me on LinkedIn, right? Like, so that's one avenue. Look, look up Sarah Reed. It's Moonstone Coaching Consulting. I'm a career coach, right? The other place they can find me is if they want to go directly to my website. It's very long. So keep that in mind. Um, just Google Moonstone Coaching and Consulting and you should be able to find out. Um, but I would say LinkedIn um, or directly to my website can get either avenue directly to me, right? You can message me through LinkedIn um, or go directly to my website and find out a little bit about more about my background, as well as if you want to sign up for a discovery call. Um, I do that for, for anyone who's interested in learning more about working with me. Perfect. And if anybody, if that was too much for anybody, they can always reach out to us at Ellen Becker as well. And we'll definitely get you connected as well. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you so much for being on. I think this was really helpful, especially these days of you know, changes in the industry. So we really appreciate your expertise and you're willing to share with us. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it, Anne. Well, perfect. Well, all to our listeners out there, just remember that Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and on Sundays from noon to 1 p.m. If you like today's show and would like to know more, please visit us at ellenbecker.com or give us a call at 262-691-3200. As always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Take care.